Well, hello all. I'm Dennis Prager and it is Friday. Great to be with you. As I have mentioned on many occasions and it bears repetition. If the Democrats and the left had not destroyed Election Day, we would have different results. What is it, half of Pennsylvania's Democrats or half of Pennsylvania's voters have voted already? Prior to the sad, tragic, and farcical appearance of the candidate Fetterman? That's, that's the way it's done. It's done through legal means, the shattering of society. Legal and moral are not synonymous. Worth noting. Woman 18 who detransitioned back from a boy slams president for pushing gender-affirming care by giving White House interview to controversial trans TikTok star. Had somebody predicted just five years ago that a president of the United States would do exactly what uh, was just described, they would say you're out of your mind. You're making up nonsense. It's, it's the ultimate in misinformation and disinformation. So here's a question. Has your local major paper, wherever you are, ever reported on the number or the cases, or the tragedy of those who regret their quote-unquote transitioning. I read to you a figure yesterday which blew my mind. 300,000 young people are transgender, twice as many as in 2017. That was 2020, so we might have doubled it again. Transgender, wow. What if a teacher said, I, I, this really is a, it's an interesting thought. What if a teacher said in a public school classroom, or even most private schools, there are only two sexes or two genders, if that's the preferred term, fe- female and male. That's it. You're either a male or a female. You cannot become the other. You can act like the other. You can appear like the other. You cannot become the other. It is fixed. We're not talking about people with dual genitalia or ambiguous genitalia. That is a separate issue entirely. And it is so rare as to invalidate any generalization about life by taking the rarest of exceptions. You, you uh, You should stop at a red light, but if the passenger next to you or the passenger in your car has a heart attack and there are no cars coming at the light, you should go through the red light to get to a hospital. That does not invalidate the fact that red light means stop. End of issue. End of issue. That is, that is what uh, we, we are uh, witnessing today. In our troubled country, another observation, if I may. In uh, European country after European country, they are basically shutting down the gender-affirming care in the medical community. The United States is the outlier. So I want to tell you something. It could be, and you know I'm very careful about exaggerating, it could be the saddest thing I've ever said in my 40 years of broadcasting. The United States 
is no longer the beacon of liberty that it has been for all of its history. It is no longer the exporter of noble principles. Do you know that I wrote a book? I consider it aside from my Bible commentary, the most important book I've written, Still the Best Hope, Why the World Needs American Values. No, and I chose it very carefully, American Values. You know who need American values today? Guess what country most needs American values today? America. There's a prayer said in my synagogue each week for the United States of America. Someone is called upon. It is done in English. Most of the prayers are in Hebrew. And the person who gave the prayer most recently changed the wording. It begins... Correct me if I'm wrong. Bless the United States of America, the beacon of liberty. Is that how it begins? A troubled world. Beacon of liberty in a troubled world. world. In a darkened world. And the reader of the prayer in our synagogue omitted that sentence. It is impossible for me to tell you how sad that is. We take our prayers very seriously. The man who omitted that sentence takes it particularly seriously. That's why we call on him to recite that prayer. I don't know what to add, my friends. Ronald Reagan didn't know how right he was. Freedom is only one generation from being taken away. However, there is good news, and by the way, I don't rely on good news to fight. I don't rely on bad news to fight. I fight. That's what you should do. But if you want good news, Elon Musk has taken over Twitter and fired the damn human beings who ran that censor-laden, anti-American, anti-human, anti-freedom, anti anti all that is good site I am so happy they are fired that I uh, I have to control my my happiness I have to control my excitement these people ruined this country these people who ran Twitter they're thugs every single one of them they deserve to be in a homeless encampment but they won't be they're they're very wealthy Elon Musk is proof only outliers do good. Man is an eccentric. You know what? I'm a big fan of eccentrics. Because eccentrics don't give a damn what people think. They do what is right. Some eccentrics do what is wrong. But most interestingly, the, uh, the people who ran Twitter were not eccentric. They were sheep, cowardly, awful, America-hating, freedom-hating sheep. It is so good that they were fired that it, it gives one hope for this country. We don't agree with you. You can't tweet. 
that amazing? Former president of the United States cannot tweet. He thinks that the last election was stolen. Why is he not allowed to say that? Why is he not allowed? Hillary Clinton said the next election, this, this, the next election will be stolen. She just said that two days ago. Is she allowed to tweet? You can't tweet that you think an election was stolen? Even if you're out of your mind, you can't tweet it? And almost every Democrat agrees with the thugs at Twitter. And that's what is so depressing. 45% of young Americans say they believe in hate speech. Excuse me, in free speech. But not for hate speech. 45% of Americans probably agreed. Young Americans probably agreed with the thugs who ran Twitter. With the, with the Soviet-type totalitarians who ran Twitter, that you suppress speech you don't agree with. Yeah. This, uh, this could be a big deal. Makes me want to tweet. one 8 prager seven seven six eight seven seven two four three triple seven six. Why did he walk into the headquarters with a sink? What was his uh, thing? I'm going to sink these people. Was that it? It was a riot. That's right. The outlier. I read a book many, many years ago about rescuers of Jews in the Holocaust. And it gave four characteristics that it found, researchers found, in the people who risked their lives to save a Jew. And the only one I remember, the other three were stuff that I had sort of figured out, but this one I didn't. Eccentrics. People who had been considered eccentric prior to the war were more likely to risk their lives to save a Jew. Well, it made a permanent impression on me. We return. Hey, everybody, I'm Dennis Prager. So talking about the the thugs uh, at Twitter who were fired, these are bad people. It's very rare for me. I usually say actions are bad. These are bad people. It is so rare in life to see justice done on this planet that these people were fired. Is is truly a moment to celebrate. The bad rarely get punished in this life. To use one of the major sites in the world to suppress free speech because you don't agree with it? They're, they're bloody communists. They're indistinguishable from communists. Tell me how they're different from the Soviets. Tell me. Because they don't run a gulag? I'll grant that. They don't run a gulag. That is quite a compliment. That's true. I acknowledge that. So talking about it, how these well-educated thugs run every institution... Petition emerges to cancel Amy Coney Barrett's book deal. This is from Daily Mail. More than 470 members of the writing, publishing, and literary community have signed a petition opposing Supreme Court Justice 
Amy Coney Barrett's upcoming book. A Supreme Court justice should not be published. Get it? The better educated you are, the more likely you are to suppress freedom, to loathe everything good that this country stands for, to be so arrogant as to think that what you believe in is the only thing that can be stated. This thing gets worse. I want you to hear the convoluted way in which they think that they're for free speech, but they want Amy Coney Bryant's, by Barrett, sorry, Amy Coney Barrett's book suppressed. The damning petition was signed by various members of the, quote, literary community. I love it, community, whenever I see that word. I have a feeling that something totalitarian is taking place. Including editors, authors, and publishers for Random Penguin House, whose imprint, Sentinel, signed Barrett to a $2 million book deal in 2021. Petitioners argue that Barrett's position in the Supreme Court's decision to overturn Roe v. Wade violates parent company Bertelsmann's Code of Conduct. This is a first, right? Is that correct? Have you ever heard of that? A Supreme Court justice's book should not be published because they don't agree with, with with, with how she voted? Woo, boy. That code follows and adheres to the United Nations Universal Declaration of Human Rights, which declares access to abortion as a human right. Well, now you know why people who love freedom are very afraid of these world bodies. They sound so good, and they control everything, if possible. That's it. No, it's a good example, isn't it? Hmm. This is a fatwa. This is the left's version of a fatwa. You have no idea how much the Islamists in Iran and the left have in common. One is secular and one is religious, and that's the only difference. Many of us, so listen to their, listen to their self-perception. Many of us work daily with books we find disagreeable to our personal politics. Rather, this is a case where a corporation has privately funded the destruction of human rights with obscene profits. Okay. That's it. So, oh, we, we, we're not against publishing books we differ with unless it's about abortion. That's it. Yet it's, according to the petition, this premise contradicts the decision Barrett made when overturning Roe v. Wade. It seems this is exactly what Coney Barrett has done, inflicting her own religious and moral agenda upon all Americans while appropriating the rhetoric of even-handedness. And Penguin Random House has agreed to pay her a sum of $2 million to do it. Uh, this is another leftist gigantic lie in its war against the Judeo-Christian religions. So she is a Catholic, and she believes that abortion, unless it's to save the life of the mother, is taking an innocent life. What a stupid idea! you got to be Catholic to believe that, right? 
That's ridiculous. You're not taking an innocent human life with an abortion. Of course not. It's a pimple. That's the position of every leftist. It's a pimple. Get it? It's not even a dog. Dogs have more rights than the unborn. You have to be Catholic or Christian in order to believe that you're taking an innocent life for no valid moral reason. Is that right? You have to be a Christian? If that's the case, what a credit to Christianity. And I'm a Jew saying this. Why can't an atheist say this? What the hell does this have to do with religion? The child can live outside the body of the woman, at least in the third trimester. What are you killing? Are you killing anything, O ye of the left, O ye at Random House? Are you killing anything? Answer the question. Forget religion. You crap on religion, but you don't crap on science. What is it? Is that a fair question? What the hell is it? To every leftist, it is a pimple. It has no more rights than a pimple. And telling a woman that she can't exterminate that life is equivalent to saying to her, you cannot remove a pimple. And that is what we are supposed to believe. It is in the realm of men menstruate. That's right. It is as absurd as men menstruate. But if you went to Harvard or Yale or Princeton, you believe it. Hello there. Part of the wall of lies of the left, by the way, I swear before the God I believe in that what I'm about to tell you I believe. No, I know. If truth dominated, there would be no left. There would be liberals, there would be conservatives, there would be no left. It has always built, been built on lies. It continues to be. The whole attack on Donald Trump is this liar, thousands of lies the Washington Post documented. It doesn't compare to left-wing lies. I said this on Bill Maher's show three years ago. You could see it. It's gone viral because of my statement that men menstruate is something the left says, and he laughed at me because he had never heard of it. Biden falsely says the price of gas was more than $5 when he took office. By the way, so this is in the Daily Mail. Is this reported that he told the blatant lie, our lying president, in any left-wing newspaper, New York Times, Washington Post, Chicago Tribune, Miami Herald, St. Louis Post-Dispatch, Seattle Post-Intelligencer, Los Angeles Times? No? Because they lie by omission even more than by commission. Do you know what the price of gas was when the lying president took office? $2.39. He has been lying all his life. I don't believe he has a functioning moral conscience, to be honest. Joe Biden was in office all his life to be in office. I don't know if he could have done anything else successfully except get elected senator from Delaware. 
Do you know that what bothers me more than the fact that Biden lies almost every day is that the press doesn't report it. The American media are as likely to report this lie as Pravda would have reported a lie spoken by Brezhnev, who was in office. God, when I think about it, that I have to explain who Brezhnev was. It's very sad. What percentage of Harvard seniors could identify Leonid Brezhnev? What do you think? It'd be very low. Very low. That's pretty important. Yeah. No, no, you don't. Okay, what about Nikita Khrushchev? Any post-Soviet, any post-Stalin leader. In other words, if I were to ask a Harvard senior, name two, no, name one Soviet leader other than Lenin and Stalin, and you don't think I have a right to be upset that they couldn't name one? No, no, maybe I'm wrong. I, I, I'm, you know, I'm totally okay yeah, with that. Yeah. You, you think it's too, too heavy a, a load. Okay, how about this? Should a Harvard senior be able to identify Pol Pot? I mean, that, 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 that's... If, if you can't name all the genocidal leaders, and they're like five uh, of the 20th century, that, that's a lacuna. I think it's a lacuna. Lacuna means whole, for those of you who graduated college. Anyway, that's the, what, that's how they function, the media. It, it's an astonishing thing. He went to Syracuse and he just said it. The uh, what, are, what are his words? Yeah, the most common price of gas in America is $3.39, down from over $5 when I took office. Did you know that, folks? If this is not gaslighting? About gas. <laughs> then gaslighting doesn't exist. You have the clip? So he'll say it better than I did. Take, take it away. Most common price of gas in America is $3.39, down from over $5 when I took office. Over $5, yeah, I read that. So the question is, did anybody in the audience, they're all supporters, think, hmm, he just told a bald-faced lie? They might have, and you know what they think? It doesn't matter. That's the key. Remember my phrase, truth is not a left-wing value. Hi, everybody. Dennis Prager here. On behalf of Sean McConnell, I welcome you to the Dennis Prager Show. He asked me to say that, and (laughs) if you saw the confused look on his face, you would know that I live for these moments. The New York Times published an opinion piece on behalf of capital punishment for murder. That, I salute the New York Times for doing. I have a few comments about this piece. It's a great piece, by the way. It is a cosmic injustice that that there are no murderers whose lives are taken. It drives me crazy, actually. 
And it drives other people crazy that we take the life of, of murderers. You could take a child, you could, you could rape her, torture her, cut her up, burn her alive. And the opponents of capital punishment think that that guy deserves to live. Some even think he has the right to get married while in prison. I've always said there is no greater gulf than the capital punishment issue. I don't understand the heart or mind of people who think every murderer should be allowed to live. And they don't understand my heart and mind. Hey, Sean, you have that thing from years ago when I was on Larry King on CNN, when CNN used to have me, where the guy yells at me that I, I love bloodshed. Who was it? It was some actor. You remember the guy's Mike name? Farris. Mike Farris. Does anybody know the name? Farrell. Farrell. Mike Farrell. Farrell. Uh, you should go to the punishment room, Sean. No, no. No, 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 no. Alan said you shouldn't. Okay. All right. No, you should, but it takes too much time. We are going, I was just talking to my producer, the co-founder of PragerU, really the founder, but he's called co-founder for tactical reasons. <laughs> We're going to do a PragerU video with a parent of a murdered kid. And maybe one from the uh, the 17 students killed in Parkland. Remember the Florida school, 2018? 17 kids murdered by this, by this guy. Oh, you got, you got that? The, the Mike Farrell uh, thing? Okay, let's, uh, let's see. I just mentioned that the, the note is made that he has done a lot of good, and I, and I don't deny that. He may well have. Norman Mailer, the famous novelist, felt that there was a convicted murderer in prison a number of years ago uh, who had uh, done, a, done lot a lot of good. good. He written a book. Written, yeah, but, he was a great, was a great author. Writer. Right, great writer. And prevailed to get him out on the grounds that we need great artists in society. And then a few weeks later, he murdered a, uh, an aspiring actor, uh, a newlywed a man uh, waiter at this, the, the waiter father's restaurant. So I just need people to understand. Yeah, what difference does that make when you're talking about life without parole versus the death penalty? Nobody's asking that he get out. They're That's saying correct. that you don't kill him. You're so right. when, you, when you resurrect, uh, you can always come up with some boogeyman kind of parade of horrible it's story not, you, as, as to why it was. Right. All as we're you saying come up is, with boogeymen about say, innocents who were killed. Well, You've got more boogeymen than I do. Boogeymen are 140 strong. No, no, no. That's 140 not, and counting not, of people or, or, who have been on death row, who have been... Uh, who've gone through the system for more than 10 years and then are exonerated. That's right. And not, what? One, and not one was executed. Uh, well, we have one in, from 1993 that's right up there that we've got a, uh, it appears now, it is appears somebody now. who was Every time executed I debate this, 10 it's always years it appears. ago. They never well, have it, a name. Wait, it wait, always appears. I'll give you the, we've I'll give been you the executing people in this country for quite a while. But honestly, would you safe to say innocent it's, people have been executed is, by logic? By logic, the odds are someone was innocent. That's all. But don't bother him with that. He doesn't No, 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 I do care, but you don't care about the convicted murderers no, who murder in prison. If it's a convicted oh, murderer whose life sake. without, Mike, what are you talking oh, about? For God's sake, Mike, what exactly is, oh, for God's sake? Do murderers murder if, again? Oh, for God's sake, is you sit there and lick your lips That's about the it. death of a human being, you That's disgust it. me. 
Exactly. Okay, you all right, fine. Okay. So it's mutual. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> all right, leave it. Thank you. Anyway, this was on CNN, oh my God, it was 15 years ago or so, more, when Larry King had a show on uh, May He Rest in Peace. See, Larry King, by the way, was a liberal, not a leftist. That was an example. I wonder what he would have thought about men menstruate. So the interesting thing about the professor writing this piece in the New York Times, there are two interesting things, aside from the fact that that the New York Times published it. One is he's a professor emeritus at New York Law School. Almost always you get truth that is anything the left differs with from professors who are retired. Emeritus means essentially retired. Because a professor who's not retired is afraid to say anything the left differs with at almost any college. Almost every professor who who sheds any doubt on the panic over global warming is a professor emeritus of climatology or some other science. That's one fascinating aspect. Another is, for reasons I cannot understand, the New York Times did not allow comments on this article. Virtually every opinion piece in the New York Times has a comment section. So my theory, and it's completely just theory, is that they were afraid that there'd be a lot of comments of people who agree. I can't think of another reason they did that. But we are going to do that. We're going to make a video of a parent of a child who wants the murderer dead like we do. Who care about this issue. It's the happy, 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 happy hour. Yes, it is. It's a happy hour. On the Dennis Prager Show. It is it. It is it. It is it. Oh, that's bad. Hey, everybody. Happiness is a moral obligation. Yes, the happy make the world better. The unhappy make it worse. Even if you don't feel it acted, I'll explain that. Take it away. Yes, it is. Since 1999, every single Friday has been devoted to happiness. Hard to imagine a happiness hour on a left-wing show. I may be wrong. I, I would like them to have one. But it's very hard for the ungrateful to be happy. And ingratitude characterizes most college graduates. Because you get a BA in ingratitude, and you can't be happy if you're not grateful. Gratitude is the mother of goodness and happiness. That's how important gratitude is. That's right. That is true for everyone. Parents who have their kids talk about what they're grateful for before they eat. 
are raising a better child. Or to be more precise, they're raising a better adult. Since most of your life, at least chronologically, you're an adult. Well, today I decided to do a classic. I haven't done this in a long time. And I am doing a series of major talks for the Daily Wire. What do they call it? The Master Series? Is that what it's called? Master Course. Master Course. And I, are they starting with me? Is, am I the first, uh, the first person? That's a real honor. And I just recorded Happiness is a Moral Obligation. So I'm going to review that with you. Do you know that when I meet a person who has a happy disposition, and by the way, it doesn't matter what age, if they're 10 or they're 90, I immediately have a good impression about the person. Just as if I meet a kind person, I have an immediate good impression. Happiness is a virtue, not just an emotion. When did you hear that at school? Answer, never. Happiness is a virtue. The pursuit of happiness is equivalent morally to the pursuit of goodness, kindness, and integrity. Happiness, again, is a virtue. We don't teach virtues anymore. I don't think that one-third of high school kids could even define the word virtue. They have never heard it. They know about preferred pronouns, but they don't know about virtues. <laughs> Poor kids a hundred years ago knew all about virtues and never heard preferred pronouns. Poor them. What a loss to their lives. It is a virtue, and one way of proving this, of proving that it is a moral obligation to be happy, or at least to act as happy as possible, is that every single person, including the unhappy, prefer to be in the presence of a happy person. That is why the Moody never marry another Moody. Unmoody's marry unmoody's. Unmoody's marry Moody's. Moody's marry unmoody's. But Moody's never marry Moody's. And my punchline on that in many of my speeches is the Moody may be miserable, but they're not stupid. They never marry one of their own. It's a line I have I came up with many years ago, and it's a good one, and it's a good one because it's true. Moody's don't marry Moody's. Hey, I want to do a, a male-female hour on why non-Moody's marry Moody's. I have a lot of theories on that. I know why the Moody's marry the non-Moody. They can't stand themselves. <laughs> And they don't want to marry somebody like them.
So the question is, why does the non-moody marry the moody? And we will, we will take that into consideration on a male-female hour. Here's another thing that you will find of interest. A lot of unhappy people think when they meet a happy person, or a person with a happy disposition, to be more precise, that they are meeting somebody who has not suffered as much as they have. This is a very common belief among the unhappy. The happy don't have it as bad as I do. And the uh, response to that is wrong. That's not true. There is almost no correlation between disposition and suffering. There are people who have had very, very difficult, even Job-like lives and who have a happy disposition. There are people who have suffered very little and walk around miserable. I would say that that characterizes a, a fair number of college students. They've had it, most of them have had it pretty, pretty easy. They haven't lived enough to have real tragedy yet, in most cases. In most cases. But there's a lot of anger and unhappiness on campus. You know why? Well, there are many reasons. I told you the ingratitude one. I remember at one university I spoke. So I would ask them to line up at the microphones after my speech, especially those who differ with me to go first. Young woman stand at a microphone, stood at the microphone and said, are you telling me women are not persecuted in this country? And I had to travel from the twilight zone into reality with great speed. And I said, that is correct. In the history of womankind, no one has had it better than you, an American female, circa 2020, 2018, whenever the speech was. That's right. When you make up that you are a suffering individual, you won't be happy because you, for reasons that I don't know, you have wanted to believe that you are persecuted. So that's another proof that it is an achievement, happiness, because there are people who have really suffered and do not walk around with a bitter, angry, unhappy disposition. Number three, in my making the case that it is a moral obligation to at least act happy, you owe it to your children, you owe it to your parents, you owe it to your siblings, you owe it to your friends, you owe it to your co-workers, and you especially owe it to your spouse. Hence, that famous phrase, happy wife happy life. Now, why did they come up with it? How come they didn't say, beautiful wife, beautiful life? Good question, eh? <laughs> you don't hear that one. Happy wife, happy life. 
By the way, happy husband, happy life. But husband doesn't rhyme with life. No, we landed... Uh, oh, that's no. I actually, that's interesting what you just said, and I will repeat it for all of you since I'm the only one in the universe who heard it. So I came up with one since nothing rhymes with husband. I came up with one. Rational spouse, happy house. That was my response to happy wife, happy life. So you have happy spouse, happy house. That's That's what he said into my earphones so that you think a listener came up with it and not you that's very humble of you to have acknowledged that we return smiles with you alright everybody Dennis Prager here Ah, very nice, very nice. One eight Prager seven seven six eight seven seven two four three triple seven six. Happiness hour, second hour Friday. I review a basic principle of my life, which I know has changed many, many lives. I wish I knew the number, but it's not available to me. But it's in the many thousands. Maybe many tens of thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands. I hope so. People don't think of happiness as a moral obligation. They think of it as an emotion. You're either happy or not happy. The idea that you owe it to others to act happy or even be happy if you can is unheard of, but it's a biggie. And as I have always Noted, all you need to do for proof is ask someone who grew up in a home with an unhappy parent, or for that matter, even an unhappy sibling. Ask parents what it's like to have a chronically unhappy child. And of course, ask people married to a chronically unhappy person. It doesn't even work in a work setting. If the person in the desk at the desk next to you is chronically unhappy. It's a shadow cast over thee. Every day you go into work. I have always felt this concept of happiness as a moral obligation. And I think it is fair to say that if you were to ask the people who work with me at my home radio station, Is the aura surrounding my radio show a happy one? I think they would say yes. There are people from other departments who come into the studio at some time just to have a laugh. Generally, they're laughing at Sean, but sometimes it's just having a laugh. I remind you folks that when men insult other men, it is because they really like them. That is, by the way, one of the prime examples of the difference, a difference between men and women. If a woman insults a woman, that's it. 
it's over, baby. When a man insults a man, he laughs. By the way, they do not come in to laugh at Sean. It was a joke. But, as all humor, as I have learned, is surprise and victim. That was a perfect example. You didn't expect it, and there was a victim. Sean. (laughs) Yes, you owe it to people. If you're religious, you owe it to God. As I have often noted, the most effective argument on behalf of secularism and even atheism is an unhappy religious person. Because if religion is supposed to be doing its job, you should be happier. So either you're doing your religion wrong, or your religion makes unhappy people. Which is possible. Which is very possible. There are so many arguments for the moral obligation of happiness, and how you should teach your children this when you raise them. I don't want to see a uh, a moody countenance at the dinner table, Tommy. I know a guy who just had a son named him Tom Thomas. It still it still exists. What's the equivalent of a female to Tommy? I don't know, but if you know one. So what do you think, my friends? Does this resonate with you, that happiness is a moral obligation? Did you teach your children that? Do you deny it? When I tell people to act happy, especially young people, it drives them crazy because I'm telling them that their feelings are second in importance to their behavior. But we live in the age of feelings. So they are taught that how they feel is paramount. It's a secular sacrament. That's a good one. A secular sacrament. I'm thinking of my friend Mike, who is probably texting me some Latin phrase right now. Yep. Raise your kids like that. Challenge them. Your feelings can't dominate the way you behave. My dear daughter, my dear son, since I believe in sons and daughters and the binary nature of human sexuality, that is what I say. To hear the entire three hours of my radio show, commercial-free, every single day, Become a member of PragerTopia. You'll also get access to 15 years' worth of archives, as well as the daily show prep. Subscribe at PragerTopia.com.